Morning. Hey. We're going to jump right in today. Uh, so if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in James chapter 2. But before we read from that, I want to address what I'm dressed in, because you're all giving me this stare of like, wow, Pastor Tim's gone. <laughs> no, uh, really, as I was preparing this message, um, I really felt like God wanted me to do something that was different. Um, and the more and more I prepared uh, this message, what I'm wearing right now uh, fits so well with what we're talking about this morning, and I just couldn't pass it up. Uh, so if you'll give me your trust, I promise this is the one and only time I will ever wear something like this on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so can you trust me? Yeah, <laughs> good. Please don't leave. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give my reason for why I'm wearing this later, but more, in any, more than anything, I wanted you to be able to take something home from this message uh, because I feel like what James is saying in this piece of text is as vital today as it was for the early church when James wrote it. But if me wearing a hoodie today is the only thing that you remember from today, hopefully every hoodie you see reminds you of this message. And I don't want you to get upset with me, uh, but at the end of my sermon, you'll see why I'm wearing it, I promise. And I promise it's not because I wanted to preach in a hoodie, because it is hot. <laughs> it is not chilly up here. <laughs> So if you're okay with me wearing this, I'm going to go ahead and say a word of prayer for us this morning. Uh, Dear Holy Father, uh, Lord, thank you that we get to come to your house and worship you. Uh, Lord, regardless of what's going on in our lives, Lord, uh, what I'm wearing, the distraction that it might be, I just pray that you would soften everyone's heart this morning. Lord, to hear your word. Lord, to see where it can impact our lives. Lord, we love you. Just be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so verses 1 through 4 in James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? This morning, I really have one question for you, and that question is, do you have a favorite? And no, I don't mean, do you have a favorite kid or a favorite TV show? I mean, do you have a favorite kind of person in this life? Do you have a kind of person that you see and you immediately think to yourself, we could be friends, or I know we would get along? Because I do this all the time, right? I look at a person or follow someone on Instagram or Facebook and, or that celebrity that I'm like, if we met, we would be friends. I know it. Everyone have that person? Yeah, mine's Ed Sheeran because he has red hair. <laughs> but we all do it. We all play this little subconscious game of, of would we be friends with that person. It's kind of weird, um, but there's actually some really cool science behind this in the business world. Um, in, the, in the marketing and advertising world, they call it the similar to me effect, which is basically that you either hire or advertise to people that are just like you. 
And in marketing, um, sometimes it can be great, but sometimes it can be really dangerous to do that. If a company totally misses their target market, they aren't going to sell anything. But a good marketing team looks through various lenses of life and how things can be done or seen. Like things um, sometimes don't transfer from culture to culture or generation. Um, The good marketing teams have to be aware of so many different things that go on around the world. Uh, Like we generally think of giving someone a thumbs up means everything's okay. But if you go to Australia or other parts of the world, it's equivalent to someone flipping you the middle finger. Right? Just because it's a norm for us doesn't mean it's a norm to someone else. Or uh, there was a car that GM made called the Nova. But in Mexico or other parts of Latin America, uh, Nova actually translates to doesn't go. (laughs) The irony. (laughs) Generationally, there are differences as well. From music we listen to, the jobs we have, the technology, each generation, for better or worse, has better things than the last and worse things than the one to come. Or for me, I run our social media accounts here at Grace, and I always have to think to myself, what would someone older than me or different than me or someone with different life background think about this post? Because I know that if I post something that I like, someone else might not like it. Because I have my own preferences, my own lens through which I look through life. I have my own similar-to-me effect, if you will. And guess what? When I choose my friends or the people that I tend to spend most of my time with, I look for those people that are like me, people that look through life in a similar lens, people around my age or people that I like to be friends with. And uh, Tacey and I do this all the time. Uh, We'll be shopping at Aldi or Meijer or sitting in a coffee shop, and we'll see a couple that looks around our age, and and we think to ourselves or just sit there and talk about it the whole time, and we like, we can be friends with them. If only we would just go talk to them, but we don't. (laughs) We have a favorite type of person that we all like to hang out with. And this is great for for meeting people like yourself, but but what about the people that aren't like you? Well, this similar-to-me effect actually causes you to put blinders on. You start looking for people that are so like yourself that you don't see people that are different than yourself. Or if you do, you subconsciously make a decision on whether or not that person would be a good friend based on what you see about them and the limited amount of information you have about that person. You don't really know that person, do you? You only get this much of a glimpse into their life by seeing them. You can kind of tell their age, whether they're a man or a woman, what color hair they have, what kind of clothes they have on. You know where you're at, so you can kind of base some stuff on that. But in all reality, you have such limited information that you're basing your first impressions of people on. And I know uh, most of you know this, but part of my job here is also um, to be in charge of our serve team or the people that serve here on Sunday mornings to make a good first impression, which they do an amazing job. Our first impression team is amazing. And I want you guys to know this, but on average, people make their mind up if they're going to come back to church within the first seven minutes of being on our property. That's seven minutes to get the kids out of the car, walk in, get greeted, check the kids in, and maybe if the clock hasn't hit seven minutes, they get some coffee. 
right? That's before anyone even opens their mouth up here, a song is saying, or maybe I come out here in sweatpants and run it for them anyways. But we are a culture of first impressions. Even in the time of James when he was writing this, first impressions mattered. That's why people say you only have one chance at making a good first impression, so make it count. Because it's true. And so much of what we do or how we look at a person or think about them is based off of first impressions. But what's the danger in that? What is the danger of making our first impressions mean so much to us? Well, James here in chapter 2 is addressing exactly that for us. He's addressing that similar to me effect that we all have at some point in our lives. That effect that if not kept intact can really start to make first impressions about people that aren't even true. Another word for partiality um, in James 2 is favoritism. Or to like something based on a predetermined set of ideas that you hold in your head to be somewhat true. That's what it means to be partial to something or to someone. For me, I'm partial to how people drink their coffee. Some of you guys know I'm a huge coffee snob. So if you drink out of a Keurig, you're low on my list. I'm sorry. Right, but we can admit that, that we have people in our lives that, that, we, that we like and don't like, different types of people. Right? We can admit that there are our neighbors that we love, but maybe they're not our friends that we would go on vacation with. And James here uses two examples of different types of people walking in to back then what would have been a synagogue, but today it's a church uh, for us. All right? So imagine this, a room full of people just like this are sitting. A room full of people that come from different walks of life, different personalities, different predetermined ideas of what they like and don't like. He says the first person of fine clothing walks in. So what's your first impression of someone wearing fine clothing? What was your first impression of me when you saw me dressed up this morning? You're like, James looks nice today. He must be getting sleep with that new baby. Or maybe uh, you see a guy come in here and he's got a tie on. You know, maybe he's got some jeans, a nice dress shirt, shirt tucked in. Gets out of a brand new sports car. He's got great hair, great smile. He's a middle-aged guy. You can tell he still eats good. He works out three, four times a week. Right? Those are the, the limited amount of things that you can see just from seeing him. Now let's talk about the, the poorer person that James is writing about. The person that probably is already feeling pretty bad about themselves before they even showed up to church. They probably put on the best clothes that they even had. They probably mustered up every ounce of confidence they had to walk into church that morning. Maybe their kids are going crazy as they walk up to the church doors. They look tired too. They have some really ragged clothes on. Now imagine this. Just wrap your head around this for a second. We tell that guy that pulled up in his new car that we have a seat especially for him. Right? It's the best seat in the house, which we know is the front row. Yeah. No one agrees with that, except for one person. Hey. <laughs> right? But we put him there. We put him in the best seat. We go get his coffee for him just the way he wants it made. We have someone sit next to him and talk to him the whole time before the service starts. Now, in the same breath, this mom that walks in, 
you know, maybe it looks a little rougher on the edges. Maybe we're slow to check her in at Grace Kids because we don't think much of her. Maybe no one really pays attention to her in the lobby. We ignore her so she doesn't get a bulletin as she walks in, so we have no idea who she is. And then she sits all the way in the back by herself. This is the picture that James is painting for us. This is all hypothetical, of course, because, you know, we would never do that in today's world, right? You know, we might think of our favorites through the lens of the similar-to-me effect, but sometimes we think all too highly of ourselves, don't we? We think more of ourselves than we should, and we think our first impression with people is better than what it really is. And sometimes our first impressions don't even match up with what people think about us anyways. Have you ever had a friend tell you what their first impression of you was? I have. Yeah. Like someone tells you like, oh man, when I first met you, I I thought that you were really stuck up and rude, and then I got to know you. It's kind of like a backhanded compliment, isn't it? A lot of of people really tell me that, that I'm intimidating at first, which is hilarious because I'm really laid back. Um, I'm really go with the flow. So when someone, some, someone tells me that their first impression of me is that I'm high-strung or intimidating, I kind of laugh about it. But then I kind of sit back and think about that. What made them think that about me? What was I doing to give them that first impression about myself? Can we admit that sometimes our first impressions are hardly ever correct about people? We've all, for whatever reason, claimed to be this, like, person reader and and think we understand a person after seeing them for one time, let alone actually meeting with them and having a conversation with them. And this is a problem. And here's why James is addressing this problem of our judgment of people based on first impressions, because assumptions based on first impressions, lead to either you belittling someone or raising yourself up, and neither are right. That man that walked in with a new car, you have no idea how he earned his money, how hard he worked for his money, or maybe if he bought it with money he doesn't even have. You have no idea. That woman that came in with with not nice clothes, maybe she's paying her way through college right now, raising two kids on her own and working two jobs at the same time, and she still came through our church's doors. And that's why I'm wearing this hoodie and sweatpants today, because I want you to ask yourself, what was your first impression of me when you saw me in what I was wearing earlier to what I'm wearing now? Just think about what I am wearing did in your heart. Did it bring about feelings of unbelief that I would ever do such a thing? Did it make you angry? Maybe someone laughed, I don't know. Either way, you made a judgment about what I am wearing. It's wired in us to do it, we just do it. But when you see me in this, you don't know my heart behind why I'm wearing this. Right? When I first started thinking about preaching in this, I was scared, to be honest. I was really scared. I even made sure everyone on staff knew I was doing it because I didn't want them to be caught off guard if someone said something to them. 
Because, but I was scared because I didn't want to make a bad first impression on somebody. I didn't want people to be mad at me or never come here again because of what I did with my sermon illustration. But then I thought about it more and more. And my heart kind of sank into my chest as I was writing this because I started to think about the people that come through a church's doors and feel that same way. That they were going to be judged for what they were wearing, for their material possessions, for their hair color, for their family lineage, the car they drive. All of these things that barely show a glimpse of what's going on in our lives. But what would happen if we took a second before we made a first impression on someone and just thought, just for a second, how does God view that person? How does God see the person walking through the church doors for the very first time? He's rejoicing. Every time someone comes here and says, I'm going to start living my life for Christ, God rejoices about that. All of heaven rejoices. So what if our first thought when we saw someone here was to rejoice? Even if they've been here a hundred times, what if our first thought was, I'm going to rejoice today. I'm going to choose to rejoice. What if your first thought when you saw me in this this morning was to rejoice because God gave you another day to listen to his word regardless of what I'm wearing? James goes on to finish up about what happens when we don't do this, but instead judge someone based on those first impressions, those material things, those things that don't really matter. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin or are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So how do we do it? How do we love people and put aside our first impressions of them, our similar-to-me effect? How do we really start to get to getting to know people based on who they are and not just what we see about them? How do we really start acting like the church? Loving people that are different from us, people that might not fit into our similar-to-me mentality. It comes down to these two things. Uh, loving people where they are, not where they've been and realizing that we've all fallen short. So let's look at what it means uh, that, we've, that we realize that we've fallen short. Uh, does anyone else feel like James kind of said it all and I can be done for the day? <laughs> he lays it out there. And I have such a love-hate relationship with verse 10 especially 
Uh, it says this, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. It's pretty straightforward. Because there isn't a person on this earth that doesn't fall short of following the perfection that is Jesus. Not a single one of us that doesn't pass judgment on someone at some time or tell a lie or do something they're not supposed to do. So why do we act like how somehow we are better than someone else? I got to tell you, these verses are a bit of a reality check because the moment I start looking down on someone or think, start thinking poorly of someone, I'm saying to God, God, you see that person that you created over there? That one's not as good as me. Or in the case of James, those people that chose the rich man to sit in the seat, they were saying that, God, this man is better because he has nice clothes and has money. But when I took the time to really understand in my own heart how short I come to fulfilling his law, when I took the time to sit and think about where am I at in that congregation of people that told the rich man to sit in the good spot and told someone else that they were more important based off their material possessions, that hurt. It hurts to look yourself in the mirror sometimes and admit that I am a person in that congregation that does that. That I am the person that passes judgment on someone before I get to know them and their situation and their heart. When we start to realize that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, it really puts us all on an even playing field. It shows us that we all need to be redeemed, that we all need saving from ourselves. When we realize we've all fallen short, we have a common ground with the people around us. So we can start loving people where they are because we know where we're at. And that's the second thing we have to do is love people where they're at, not where they've been. Uh, just because you've been following Jesus for 25 years doesn't make it any easier. Life still happens. If anything, uh, I would argue the longer you follow Jesus, the harder it gets. Because you've seen more people go through life. You've seen more life happen. You've seen more people come, and out, come through and out of these doors. You know how fragile life really is when you've lived more of it. And I would argue just because you've been following Jesus for 25 days doesn't make it any easier. Because everything is new. Something probably sparked you to come back to church anyways, and usually that something's not pretty good. You're wondering, what does this life look like with Jesus? What does following Jesus even mean? When I first started following Jesus, I had no idea what I was doing. But it sure did help that I kept going through it. See, both of these people at some point have or need someone that, to come alongside them and say, I love you, not because of how you act or your past or your current situation, but just to show them the love and mercy because that's what Jesus did. And I love how James ends this section of Scripture. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. If Jesus showed us mercy for our wrongdoings, how much more should we extend mercy to people instead of passing judgment? When we start to think about the laws given to God, how do we measure up? Why are we better than someone else? Start asking yourself, did I, did I love my, my neighbor perfectly? You'll want some mercy for that. You ever told a lie? You'll want some mercy for that. 
You ever judge someone? You'll want some mercy for that. Do you see the point? We all need someone to love us right where we are, and right where we are is usually right when we start to figure out that we're in the midst of our brokenness. And thank God that he loves us where we are so we can love others where they are. But what would your life look like if you started loving people right where they are and not where they've been? What would be different? Right? I'm not saying that you have to love that person's sin, but what if you started loving the sinner? Because isn't that what Jesus did for us? He started loving and showing mercy to the sinners like me and you. Jesus is that person that listens when no one else does. He's the king that kneels down to understand the kid that no one else will take time to listen to. He's the person with arms wide open when the prodigal son returns home to him. What if we started being that for people instead of judging someone based off material possessions or their first impression? So here's what I'm trying to prove today with wearing a hoodie and sweatpants. Don't judge someone based off your first impressions. Don't judge the outside without getting to know the inside. Don't pass judgment because when Jesus could have chosen judgment on the cross for every single one of us, you know what he did? He showed us mercy. He got to know us. He chose a relationship. Because when we judge someone, we don't know their heart in the situation, but in God's eyes, he sees the heart behind the hoodie. He sees someone that is broken, someone that is messed up, someone that so desperately wants someone that, around them to understand what they're going through, to sit with them, not to judge them. I want to end the sermon today the same way that I started it, just asking a question. Do you have a favorite? What does that favorite look like? Does your favorite person match the person that Jesus would show mercy to? That person that Jesus would sit with? The person that we would look at coming in our doors and the world would say, here, sit at my feet. But instead of judging them, we choose to show them mercy and to love them and to sit with them. That's my challenge to you guys. Love someone who's not like you and show mercy to someone instead of judging someone based off of first impressions. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you. Uh, Lord, just for, for who you are, a God that shows mercy to us when we need it most. God, I pray for everyone here today that they would think of that favorite kind of person. Lord, that people would love well. Lord, I know someone in here needs to be loved well, and I pray that they would. I pray someone would come around them and say, I don't care what everyone else says about you. I want to love you. I don't care that you look a little rough around the edges. I want to love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.